This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. From Monaco to Indianapolis, Le Mans to Daytona, and everywhere in between. This is your one-stop shop for provocative motorsport talk. From the ITA Podcast Network, this is the Into the Paddock Podcast. Into the Paddock Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Into the Paddock podcast. My name is Jordan Groves and I'm joined this week once again by Mr. Greg Meismer. Hello, Greg. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Howdy, 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 howdy. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Is that, that's a Toy Story thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, the shark. Yeah, when the it shark, comes out of yes. The- <laughs> <laughs> I am Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Every time you anyway. say howdy, 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 that's what I'm picturing. Is that what you're that's doing? That's exactly what I'm thinking of too, yeah. Man, fucking tastic. Yeah. Great minds, right? So good to have people on the same wavelength. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, this town is big enough for more than just the two of us, and that is why we are joined by (laughs) Mr. J.D. Daniel. Hello, J.D. Is that supposed to be a fat joke? No! (laughs) For goodness sake. Do you like Toy Story? Yeah, it's fine. Good. Fine? First, First Toy Story I saw was Toy Story 2. Ah, you do it the Star Wars way around. So you go for yeah. like two, two, I've just seen what Craig's put in the background <laughs> and I am not going to be able to look at that for the rest of the show. Um, so you do two, two, one, three, or do you go two, three, one? It was two, one, three. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw them out of order because, uh, that's just how it happened. We didn't buy the movies or go to see them in theaters when they came out. So I was like, five six years delayed in watching the whole series and have you seen we won't four? get into it have you seen four four is good it's not is that bad. The one of justin timberlake oh never mind it's not good <laughs> i thought it was good never uh, who's the the guy who uh, duke kaboom oh um cyberpunk um, Keanu Reeves. Uh, Keanu Reeves. He is uh, uh, Duke Kaboom. Oh yeah, the <laughs> Canadian Evil Knievel. Best part of the film. The Evil Kid Evil guy. Yeah, he's fantastic. Anyway, yeah, he was really good. <laughs> um, welcome back to the Into the Paddock podcast. I can't believe we have time for a tangent because it has been a week. <laughs> You're telling me, man. Yeah. We, we we ended the show like, oh, yeah, that was a good show. And then all of a sudden, Motorsports is like, now we're going to hit the boom button. Everything happened. <laughs> we're going to break from tradition because normally whenever there's race action, we talk about that in the first half and then second half do the off-track news. However, the on-track action was the clash and it wasn't that good. So we're going to push it to the second half anyway. And the off-track news was utterly ridiculous. Um, and I'm sure everybody, everybody knows already, but we're going to get into it now. Um, possibly the biggest driver transfer news there has 
ever been, actually. The biggest, the biggest driver announcement there has ever been. And that is that Riley Herbst is going to be racing part-time of Rick Blair Racing <laughs> <laughs> in the NASCAR Cup Series in 2024. Um, no, sorry. Um, I might have scrolled down a little bit too far. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> I apologize. Lewis Hamilton has announced that he will be leaving Mercedes and going to Scuderia Ferrari. This is what? Some, uh, yeah. Oh, have you just heard? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Who? <laughs> I've never heard of that. <laughs> it sounds washed. Um, that's, is that that's like an engineering hire, right? Like yeah, yeah. They're replacing. So it, okay. He was uh, the role that James Allison had, but after we ridiculed ah, him, ah, yes, um, yes, 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 he had to leave. Okay. Um, no, this has been a driver transfer that has been rumored a lot over the last couple of years basically since mercedes kind of trailed off but every time it kind of got quelled the rumors um this time however was different you know by it it was early in the morning when it was announced that this was a very serious possibility and then by seven o'clock that afternoon or that evening both or all parties had confirmed it so first off what were our reactions (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do you think he's been inspired by like the Brad Pitt movie where he like goes to a failing team <laughs> to help him like figure stuff out and mentor the young guy after, you know, he's had a rough few years, basically retired. Uh, yeah, that's what this sounds like. <laughs> I mean, if that had meant that Lewis was racing an IMSA, then I'd, I'd have been all for that. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. No. Anyway. <laughs> what, what did we think? Was it, were, were you shocked? Do you remember where you were when you heard? <laughs> I do, because it was my fucking birthday. Oh, yeah. I was I was telling you before the show, I woke up like to a thousand messages on my phone. Uh, not literally a thousand. I don't know that many people. Uh, but, you know, woke up to a shitload of notifications on the phone, Discord, Instagram, Twitter, everything blowing up. I'm like, oh, man, it's my birthday. That's cool. Pop the phone open, and uh, it's this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what I was. You were pissed off at home. <laughs> I mean, I got duped, right? Like, I <laughs> there was like one or two little birthday messages sprinkled in there, you know, my mom. But most of it was this, and that's big news, man. I mean, this is... Like you said, it's a huge transfer. Who saw this coming? I didn't. I didn't see it coming at all. No, after after last year when he re-signed a contract to the end of 2026 with Mercedes, lol, um, I, I thought that was his last opportunity. You know, I thought that's yeah. it. He's going to stay with Mercedes till he retires and that's it, you know. So, yeah, for, for it to have come... You know, he he's activated a break clause in his contract. We'll get onto that in a moment. Um, he's going to be going there at the end of this year, so for the twenty twenty five season. You know, it it was quite understandably a bit of a shock. <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. I mean, I I remember where I was. I was pulling into work that I'd opened my phone and uh, I saw saw that, and I'm like, oh no, poor Carlos. Anyway. <laughs> 
we'll get on to Carlos uh, as well because I know I, you're I, particularly fond of of Carlos. I didn't believe it at first, to be completely honest. Like, oh, for these wild speculations before, like when oh Lewis's team were going by Red Bull to see if they had anything available for him, then he signed the contract. Um, but like the longer since this announcement, we've more light has come out about that Mercedes deal. And there's some speculation about this Ferrari contract that, uh, I see why he switched. <laughs> yeah. He's making bank. And as are his foundations uh, reportedly mm-hmm. as well, which is meant, uh, obviously we know that his foundations and his off track work and, and philanthropy are a massive part of Lewis Hamilton. That that's, that's his thing. So, it's you know it's a win win if he can or win 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 if he can if he can go and race somewhere that might be more fruitful for him and we'll speculate on what could come of this in a moment but yeah if he, if he can go somewhere that could give him some wins if he could go somewhere that's ferrari and you know fulfill a dream that every racing driver has and it will benefit him and his his charities financially you know why not <laughs> Did you yeah. think? Did you wake up thinking it was April Fool's Day? I kind of like I did. I mean, it's <laughs> it's opening up more questions than answers, really, right? Like, who's going to take the Ferrari seat? Where is Charles going to go? What does Lewis Hamilton see in the future of Ferrari that we don't? Because it, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to go to this team. I don't know Mercedes. I don't think. But we'll, we'll get onto that now. Then, so and um, almost immediately, people said, "Why." That's just the the initial why. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil, but also um, the, you've got the fact that Lewis is at the point of his career now where does he need a reason? You know, he's done everything there is. He's statistically, and I emphasize that so much, statistically the greatest Formula One driver there is. Um, go see our episode last year on why there isn't a go to Formula One. Um you know, at, at this point, if he wants to go and race a Ferrari just because he's always wanted to, does it really matter if they're slower? Probably not, because he gets to drive a Ferrari. Uh, the only scenario, really, for in my opinion, where this ends up being a bad move is if in 2025, Mercedes have the dominant car again, which I think we can all assume is not going to happen. So, you know, and and from the point of competitiveness, is Ferrari... A downstep? I don't think it is. I think it's. I, I know that Mercedes beat Ferrari in the in the constructors' championship last year, but it was only by a couple of points on a manhole cover in Las Vegas. You know, so it it's it's not. I, I don't see it as much of a downturn. I think Ferrari have actually got more chance of getting wins quicker than Mercedes do, especially if this year's car isn't that good, and if Lewis Hamilton has already tested the car in the simulator and doesn't like what he's feeling, then. You know, why not get things sorted out now? I don't know. What What do you guys think? Do you think this is a good move for Lewis Hamilton? Well, like we know it's a good move for him financially and for his charities, but is it a good move for where he's at in his career and his chances of winning? I mean, it could be. I mean, like you said, it it, it might be a good a good lateral move for him. Maybe not going down, but definitely not going up. I don't think. You know, so I I think. I do, I do think that with this move, the grid for, say, 2025, 2026 is going to look a lot different than it does today, mm. right? Like, this is about to shake some weird shit up. <laughs> so, uh, I, I I do like that. That's fun. You know, change is usually good, right? 
Yeah, Lewis has a history of not being afraid of gigantic changes. Like everyone remembers when he moved from McLaren to Mercedes before Mercedes was good. You know, this is, like Greg said, more of a lateral step in terms of competitiveness in the car. But the Ferrari was the only car to win a Grand Prix last year other than a Red Bull. So, and that, I can see why he'd be like, well, this is our best chance to to win for me to win. It's been two years since Lewis has won. Before then, he had won in every single season he's competed in. You know, this is Lewis Hamilton, like you said, statistically the greatest driver. Um, now, caveat that, or counterpoint to that, not counterpoint. But I want to say his Mercedes contract that he had signed, <laughs> they gave him the Valtteri Botas special. They gave him a one plus one deal. So we'll sign you for one year. And then both sides had the option to deny or approve the second year. So he just exercised his before Mercedes could, because uh, the way I understand it, Mercedes is looking past Lewis Hamilton. He's not their centerpiece anymore. Like they, they're, you know, they have George Russell, they have good relations with Alex Albon and, and Williams, and they have Kimi Antonelli, who's just starting his first season in the F2. So if Lewis isn't the centerpiece of Mercedes, he's not their main focus anymore. He wants to go to somewhere where he is the main focus even though Ferrari is still Charles' team, they might butt heads there, but we'll, that will remain to be seen. He just wants to be winning again, and Mercedes hasn't shown the pace to actually win in the past couple of years. I'll say Brazil 2022 was a fluke. Mm, yeah, especially you know, that, that was car. Like, <laughs> perfect conditions for that car on that specific day. Every other time, they just haven't had it, You know, barring Red Bull taking themselves out. So I see why he did it. Lewis wants to win. If he's not winning, he's not happy. He hasn't been happy for two years with Mercedes. Yeah. Brazil 2022 was very much Mercedes Peugeot hypercar at Le Mans in the wet moment. You know, it was all the stars aligned and it was quick, but yeah, the signs have not been there that, that equate to them ever getting back to the level that I think Lewis will be satisfied with. And even if, Ferrari don't do any better, it will still be accomplishing something for him, having wanted to race for Ferrari all his life. So yeah, I, I don't I don't see this being a bad move for him in any any stretch of the imagination. I uh, mean in in the long run it might be bad. Do you know how people leave Ferrari? Yeah, but how though? Nobody nobody leaves Ferrari under good circumstances. It's either with a bad relationship with the team or uh you know, another way. No, that's but, just the passion of Ferrari and its fans overflowing. It becomes overwhelming and turns into anger and the dark side and misery. I mean, Michael Schumacher left the team with quite high relations. You know, he just retired. And I think that's how Lewis will leave as well. He will just, you know, if, if Ferrari gets to a point where he's not happy with their competition anymore... Or if he feels like that's it, he's done. You know, I've, I've raced for Ferrari. Say he has a good couple of seasons where he gets a few wins. Maybe that's enough for him. You know, I've now driven a Ferrari. I've ended my career. You know, the end of my career will be known for driving a Ferrari and winning a couple of races rather than Abu Dhabi 2021. You know, this is a good way to really make that the full stop to your Formula One career rather than Abu Dhabi and the downfall that led on from Abu Dhabi 2021. It, it's quite the masterstroke, I think, in in 
sort of repairing his legacy not that it needed to be repaired because he is yeah. lewis hamilton i mean that, that's that's fair that's a good exclamation point mm. on yeah. on an incredible career if you if you can pull it off and make it work for you and be successful there uh but it's going to hinge on that right if, if you go there and it ends up being shit you know this might have to be a comma and you go somewhere else <laughs> it's <laughs> also it's also good in just the in terms of the team aspect the ferrari is the only other car concept that's shown to be competitive against the red bull head to head you know everyone's trying to copy the red bull design language and then on the other hand for mercedes they've been having a brain drain all the other teams have been poaching all their really good engineers and, and management people or they just left like um you hit, you know, the team principal of Williams, he's gone and left building that team back up. A whole bunch of engineers have been poached by Aston Martin, by Red Bull, by McLaren, all these like core people at Mercedes. They're just having a massive brain drain, which sucks, but that happens. That's the price of success. You know, people want to go somewhere else to actually get the spotlight that they feel they deserve or that they can achieve something more and better. You know, it, it's really going to shake things up, but. I always question the the culture of Ferrari, just that super amped up pressure that they put on themselves and that the Tifosi put on the team. Like we all know how ruthless the Italian press is. We know all know how Lewis likes to have a nice cohesive group rowing together. Ferrari is not a group I associate with calm, with calmness or <laughs> or rowing together. It's all I'm doing my job, don't fire me, it's the other guy's fault. So, but we'll see. Frederick Vescher has has known Lewis for twenty plus years. That relationship, I assume, is very instrumental in why Lewis is going to Ferrari. You know, I, we've seen Ferrari be its best when it's being run by a, a Frenchman. And so we'll see. you think about the timing. You know, this this is we're coming into Fred's second year at the helm of Ferrari. By the time Lewis joins, it will be the start of his third. Fred has, you know, he made explicit over the over the uh, the first year that he needs time to be able to implement the changes he wants and to hire the people that he wants obviously we know with technical staff you have to go through gardening leave that postpones things then you've got you know how far along are projects when these people get involved i think by the time lewis joins at the beginning of next year we will have a very clear idea of fred's vision for ferrari moving forward and if it's good, we know how good Ferrari can be when it's not managed by Italians. So maybe <laughs> the stars will align and and it, and it will work. Maybe. Yeah, if he if he can pull a Ross Braun and shield the team from the Tifosi and the Italian media, the sky's the limit for that team. We've seen it in the past. The unfortunate thing is that that it's been twenty years since that last took place. So at this point, Ferrari are basically the Dallas Cowboys of Formula One. Well, oh, no. <laughs> you, I mean, the way you got to think about it, the last time Ferrari won a championship, Lewis had not got a championship. <laughs> like, the entire yeah. tenure of Lewis Hamilton's Formula One career has passed since Ferrari last tasted a victory in, in championship situation. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see how it goes, really. But I think, to, just to say it again, even if he goes to Ferrari and all he accomplishes is what he's been doing at Mercedes already, it will be an improvement for him because he's in red. So, and when you're at the end of your career and you've won seven championships and 
God knows how many wins and pole positions, you know, maybe he's earned it. Maybe this is his 10th doctor. I'm going to get my reward moment. We'll just have to see. (laughs) This blows the driver market wide open for the next two years. And let's get on to that. So Carlos Sainz out at Ferrari. Um, He put out a statement shortly after. I wish this was a PowerPoint presentation so that you can be in charge, Greg. (laughs) That picture of Carlos is goaded. Um, Carlos put out a statement shortly after Ferrari and Mercedes confirming that he is leaving. Um, He just said they are parting ways. I do feel bad for him. And JD, I'm going to let you get in on this very quickly because I know that you're more of a fan of Carlos than I am. Um, But even I will admit, you know, over the last year in particular, Carlos was the better driver than Charles. I would still say that Charles is the faster driver, but that comes with baggage. So it might not seem fair that that Carlos has got the boot for Lewis, but the way I would view it as if you're going to get the boot for anyone, make it the statistical greatest Formula One driver of all time. What what do you think? Is this is this unfair for Carlos? And where do you think he might land? I've got an idea, but I'll be interested to see if you think the same. Uh. Yeah, it really sucks for Carlos because, you know, he, he won a race last year and, and Charles didn't. Yes, you can say that Charles is on pace, like just raw pace, the better driver, but Carlos is has better races. He doesn't make the mistakes that Charles has been prone to throughout his entire career. Charles will be on a lightning lap and then just throw it into the wall versus Carlos. Usually something breaks on his car that takes him out or his car bursts into flames. You know, something outside of his control. <laughs> Um, so it, he has shown that he is a very capable and worthy driver in F1 to be with a top team. Um, where do I think he'll go? I mean, I'm a fan of a straight swap from Ferrari to Mercedes. Do I think that'll happen? No. Uh, the next option is is potentially Sauber, when they, especially when they turn into Audi, but that'd be a long a long wait for that to happen because that's still at least two years away for that full transition. I think he deserves to be in one of the the top teams, but I really don't know where else that would be. It's really difficult. It's, it, yeah. Cause everyone's under contract up until 25. And if he's out of a seat, like I don't know where he'll land. It all depends on what Mercedes does with their driver lineup and even Red Bull, who's going to replace Sergio Perez and, how good will AlphaTauri get? You know, with their new revamped team, it, it's all just up in the air. I think waiting for Audi would be too long. Yeah, he'd be a veteran driver, but at that time, the team will still be new and not competitive. Even though they have investment from Audi, they'll still take too much time, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, for Carlos, I, I don't know how he'd match up for George, but I, I hope he lands somewhere good that isn't Williams or Haas. <laughs> That's all I can really say. And and that you kind of, you've intimated exactly what I think will happen is I think he will go to Sauber next year and it will be a growing year is probably the nicest way we can put it. Uh, like, I'm they tired of Carlos being put in that position. That's he, the problem. Yeah. He, he, he did it. Okay. Let's excuse his Toro Rosso stint. He did it at Renault, built them up. He did it at McLaren, built him up, got a win. Done it at Ferrari. He he got McLaren. No, he almost got a win at McLaren. I forgot. 
Shoot. Nearly. But to get <laughs> nearly like- get a win from McLaren at that point in McLaren's tenure is still not something to be uh, yeah. not something to be um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, sniff sniff, something to sniff at, yeah, exactly. Like he 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 is instrumental in rebuilding these lower midfield teams into proper midfield contenders to get that occasional dub. And he deserved to get this top flight seat at Ferrari. He hasn't done anything that would cause him to be removed from that other than Lewis Hamilton deciding, I want to eat spaghetti now. <laughs> Vegan spaghetti, remember. <laughs> I saw this brilliant post that was like, imagine the panic on the chefs at Ferrari as they try to work out how to make all these Italian meals vegan. Um, but we'll have to wow. hear about that on every day. No, um, I mean, he's going to have to learn Italian yeah, at the very least, but, right? I mean, I mean, I reckon he will. Like, He must know a little bit yeah. already anyway. You know, he's so into his fashion and everything. He spends so much time in Italy. You know, <laughs> hearing him say uh, "Grazie ragazzi Forza Ferrari" is going to be quite strange, but right, whatever. What what is Italian for? Um, this place has the best fans. Um, we'll we'll have to find out. Or we'll hashtag blessed. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I, I think yeah, for Carlos, it is a really difficult situation. And and like you, I I. I'm, I wish he didn't have to go through another phase of embedding himself in another top team or trying to get another top team opportunity because he's this is proven his fifth team. Yeah. In his mad. F1 career. Yeah. And that, and, and that shouldn't, yeah, and he's done so well considering how much instability is he has had. So for him to have to do it again is a shame, but hopefully if, if he does have to go to Sauber a year early and wait, hopefully he can, be the team leader for once because that's all of all the teams he's driven for he really hasn't had a prolonged chance to build the team around him and to become that team leader and i think if he went to audi and say were were partnered with who's the other guy that's massively rumored with him nico holkenberg you know if, if he was the team leader in that scenario i think it would be very effective um and if he had to go to sauber a year early then he could use that year to start applying what he knows and, and trying to steer the team in a particular direction as well. It might be a good thing for him, but it's just a shame that he's got to do it all again. But I do feel that Audi were going to poach him from Ferrari anyway, so maybe it's just a way yeah. of going about it earlier. I mean, we know the Science family has close ties to Audi. I mean, Carlos Sainz Sr., he just won the Dakar in an Audi, so it only makes Yuck. sense. <laughs> and at the same time, like, can we just praise Carlos for how adaptable he's been in Formula One? Like, we've seen Daniel Ricciardo struggle to going to two other teams. Carlos Sainz has been with five teams, soon to be a sixth team, and he's found success, relative success, in every single one he's been in. That is not easy to do with all the different teams and chassis and philosophies these teams have. That is outstanding, and I, I still think he's very underrated just because he doesn't have the pure raw speed doesn't mean he isn't freaking good. So yep. Sad times for the smooth operator. <laughs> so by contrast, if, if, if we think Carlos might be heading down to Sauber and Audi, who goes to Mercedes to replace Lewis Hamilton and already JD, once again, you've mentioned all of the candidates that I had in mind already, because I think if, if they end up going for someone who's on the grid already, I think Alex Albon is a shoo-in. Um, the guy has been on an incredible journey since being ditched by Red Bull too soon. And I think he is ready for another not top level drive because Mercedes isn't exactly that anymore. But 
as close to as you can get. Um, I, I've, you know, obviously we know the links between Williams and Mercedes are strong. Um, the needle between Toto and James at, for Albon services might be a little bit, yeah, but I don't, I don't think they're the only two. I, I think uh, Red Bull still has a big say in Alex Albon's career. Yeah. But then it's whether Alex wants to go there. You know, he he's been broken by Max before. Does he think he's going to like, I he's improved a lot since he got dropped, but does he think, is he ready to go back into that knowing what could happen? Or would he prefer to go to somewhere, a new environment? alongside a teammate that he knows he's going to get along with not that he didn't get along with max he he gets along quite well with max but it's you you know you know what you might have have with max and you don't know what it might be like to work with mercedes to work with george and from mercedes point of view you know we we started to see toward the end of last year the first signs of a bit of needle between lewis and george and mercedes in the past have had their fair share of team tension shall we say, with Nico and Lewis. Maybe what they're looking for now, especially in this period of their lifespan where the car isn't great and they really need to focus on making it better, is stability. And could George and Alex be that stable and very dependable lineup? I, I think possibly. So, um yeah, if 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 I had to guess who would be on the grid currently, who would go to Mercedes, it would be Albon. However, you mentioned the other name that I was thinking of. If he has a very good year in F2, Mercedes have made no bones about that. They said this a few weeks ago, which I think is almost rather telling. They said that if they if if if, if Kimi Antonelli demonstrated that he was ready for the opportunity then they would have no qualms with putting him straight into Formula One for his rookie season in a Mercedes. And I can't, I don't they, think... They, they said that. Yes. They, yeah, said, they said they put him in the Mercedes. A they few weeks ago. Williams yeah, they said that. Whoa. Uh-huh. Way to put bold. some pressure on a young guy, like, yeah, for a start. move. But, I mean, what better way to so, replace... And, so, and not only not only going to the Mercedes your rookie season, but you got to follow... That guy. Yeah. So, but what, you know? <laughs> what better way to replace Lewis Hamilton, you know, a generational talent who was thrust into a competitive team because one Pablo Montoya said, fuck you, I'm going to NASCAR, than putting in a potentially generational rookie talent into a top car because Lewis Hamilton wants to go eat vegan pasta. You know, it, 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 it might be a match made in heaven, but it's all dependent on how Kimi does in his f2 year and i still think it's more likely that he gets a seat at williams before mercedes yeah i think that's entirely too much pressure to put on any young driver even if it is like another max Verstappen. even max didn't go straight to the red bull a team he went to toro rosso first charlotte leclerc went to alfa romeo sauber you know it, you you need to have these guys develop into f1 because even though f2 are really freaking quick cars it still is an f1 We've seen so many past F2 champions fail and continually struggle to get on the F1 grid. Then when they finally get their shot, Nick DeFries, they just completely bomb it under the pressure because it's so different to what they're used to. So like, like I, I think the slow, steady nature of bringing a driver up to F1 is the best because we saw with Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon, Red Bull brought them up too soon. They, it destroyed their confidence. Now they've had to rebuild their career and their yes. reputation for the past three years. Mercedes 
have such a small driver lineup that they need to take extra care with the uh, the drivers they do have and want to bring up into the top team. So, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> so in that <laughs> case, then, it's the perfect bargaining chip. You know, Toto goes to James and says, James, I'm really sorry. I really want to take Alex off of you. But as a trade, would you like Kimi Antonelli for a couple of years? I mean, why not? Like, I, I think that would be a good move. If, if Kimi does well, I, I, we're assuming he will. He will. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's tough competition this year in Formula 2. So uh, either way, this driver announcement, as you alluded to earlier, Greg, it's, it's really Lewis moving to Ferrari has done so much for the, for the silly season. It was looking a bit stale considering last week we reported Charles Leclerc and Lando Norris's contract extensions. You know, it was looking like things might not move around as much as we thought they were going to. And now we've got all of this to come. But also, it's done a lot for the young drivers that are coming up and are on the precipice of making Formula One because all of a sudden, you've got Lewis going to Ferrari for, I assume, a handful of seasons before retirement because he is old, which might be the perfect timing hey, for, say, Oli You Bennett. throw that around a little too often. True. Wow, guy. We're the same age. Like me. No, I guess we're not the same age. I was talking about Lewis Hamilton. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're, he's not that much older than me, though. That's, that's still a little hurtful, man. Yeah, well, maybe I meant it. Yeah, you're um, mean. But yeah, so evil. Anyway, <laughs> so you've got Lewis going to Ferrari. He might leave in a few years. And all of a sudden, you've got Ollie Behrman, who is, I believe, Ferrari's next up-and-coming driver on the list and, and will get to Formula One. You know, uh, he does a couple years in one of their in one of the smaller teams, and then by the time Lewis is gone, he might be ready to step up. That's a great opportunity for him. And same with Kimi Antonelli. You know, I I didn't necessarily see a way onto the grid for Kimi in the next year, and now there is a long shot, but a shot. So I think it's it's good all around. This news. Now, what this really brings to light for me is that. We need more seats for F1 drivers because there's too many good ones without seats. And that makes me really upset for the other F1 news we have to talk about. JD, you get the award for Segway of the Year so far. Um, excellent work. I'm proud. <laughs> I hope they grow up so fast. Um, <laughs> yes, the actually the only bad thing about the Hamilton driver transfer news is it came a day after one of the worst pieces of news yet unsurprising uh, news to come from Formula One that I, there's ever been. And I, I, I do put the day this was announced down with some one of F1's darkest days um, in terms of global opinion of Formula One. I'd never seen so many people so united in dismay against Formula One after they announced officially that they had rejected Andretti's bid to join the grid uh, in 2025 or 2026. Um, this wasn't a surprise. We kind of, with how long the process was going, we kind of had an idea, right, that that this was going to happen, that they were going to find a way to be rejected, especially as the FIA had approved them, which meant that Formula One was almost certainly going to disapprove them because they have to argue. Um, and then there was the manner of which that they rejected them which I think is what has rubbed the most people up the wrong way. Because the document that they, pun they published to explain 
or to attempt to explain why they had reached this wrong decision, um, is one of the most ludicrous documents I have ever seen relating to Formula One, relating to anything actually. And I've read Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, some of the some of the reasons <laughs> that they have listed are just not just flat out lies, but just it's bullshit. Like <laughs> this, yeah. this was written by an angsty teen intern. That's how so was Fifty Shades of Grey. This- <laughs> Like it, it is utterly mind-boggling the mental gymnastics that went into all of their statements. Like I was listening to other people's reactions, and I agree, whoever wrote this shouldn't be working there anymore because it is just littered with inaccuracies and complete bullcrap. Like oh, F one would bring more prestige to Andretti than Andretti bring to F one. Name another team that <laughs> wouldn't be have their profile raised by being an F one. Like name a, name anybody who has more prestige that that would bring more to F one than F one would bring to it. Nobody. Do you really think it, Haas bring oh, bring oh. more value to Formula One than Formula One brings to Haas? Who the and, fuck and knew they, about Haas apart from NASCAR fans before they joined Formula One? Like <laughs> just the sheer hypocrisy. Like they didn't want them in because they'd be a customer engine when their own rules stipulate, oh, hey, teams coming in will force them to get an engine from an existing manufacturer. So why have the rule? Well, by, the, <laughs> by the way, half the freaking grid are customer yeah. engines. So on that, on that logic, goodbye, McLaren. Goodbye, Haas. Goodbye, Williams. Goodbye, all of those teams. You know, bye. Aston Martin. Aston Martin. Bye. Bye, Fernando Alonso in his redemption career, which was the only good thing about last year. Bye. You know, <laughs> and, and then you expand that out to the other points as well, where they say that, you know, um, <laughs> according to our research, our fans haven't heard of the Andretti name or Mario Andretti. So therefore, it's inconsequential that they'd be, excuse you? This uh, an Andretti won uh, your championship in 1978. What do you mean? No one has heard of him. I know that. I know that 90 percent of Formula One fans these days are Drive to Survive fans who believe Formula One started in 2017. However, they are not everyone, and Andretti is still, as you say, Andretti name carries weight. And with that, in its other motorsport ventures. What Formula One likes, money. And the sponsors that Andretti have access to and the relationships, and let's not forget General Fucking Motors, we'll get onto the engine thing in a moment, you know, there is clear value to be had and and recognition and fucking money that that Formula One could (laughs) could draw on. It's all about money. It's all about that anti-dilution fund payment because this Concord Agreement was written and approved COVID times when all the t- half the grid was like, we're going to go bankrupt if we don't do something like McLaren reverse mortgaged its facilities just for cash flow. You know, Haas, who he was on the verge of shutting it down. Sauber, they sold to Audi, etc. So like, Oh yeah, 200 million. We just need teams and warm bodies to be there. You know, they treated any new team to be like an LMP three and M. So like, we just need a warm body on the track. Now that they're actually <laughs> successful, like, oh, well, psych, we didn't really mean that. Uh, Takesy backsies, uh, 200 million is not enough. We want more like, uh, you know, a billion just for a new team to come in. 
in addition to the cost of all the infrastructure and capital expenses any new team would need to bring in it's just so incredibly stupid like all all these teams it's so freaking stupid like oh yes we'd love a new team no no they want a new manufacturer we don't want another team that's the distinction they have yeah oh we'd love general motors but not andretti we we don't like andretti we just want general motors money yeah that's so freaking then stupid. we get to the point of competitiveness oh because according <laughs> to the assessment period now bearing in mind the fia did their own assessment for new team applicants and it was very extensive it was it was much longer than they previously said they went into a lot of detail there were multiple um applications uh, i think four or five and only andretti got through but andretti got through now the fia are the sporting body they are the people that care about setting the rules doing the competition you know making sure everything's fair and technically aligned so i trust their opinion on who would be a genuine competitive entry into Formula One a lot more than I do a bunch of business people who were hired by a guy who has a bad Monopoly man moustache. So for <laughs> for Liberty Media and, and Formula One to turn around and say that they don't believe, they, they believe that the, the, the most value that a new team can bring is by being competitive and that they do not believe that Andretti would be competitive. Firstly, what is your metric for competitive? Are we talking race wins? Are we talking championships? Are we talking podiums? What, what's your metric? And secondly, once you've identified that metric, how on earth are you, are you measuring a team's potential competitiveness based on that made-up metric? I would love to see the math. There wasn't any math done here. I would love to see the math that went into making that decision because clearly whatever they have disagrees with the FIA and I know who I trust for once. I can't believe I'm saying I trust the FIA. This is what's happened. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is how messed up it is that the FIA is the voice of sense and reason in a situation that the FIA actually did its freaking job and due diligence and admitted the best candidate to be on the F1 grid. The FIA is the voice of reason in this. That's how, how was that wrong happen? this is. <laughs> it's almost like, you know, bringing in a terrible Spanish Grand Prix street track to make Catalonia look good. How has this happened? Um, but, but then furthermore on the competitiveness, once you have that metric and once you've done your weird test to measure whether you are competitive against that metric, when do you then kick out the teams that are not competitive currently on the grid? Because they don't meet that, you know? If the greatest value a team can bring to a championship is in competitiveness, when does Haas bring that value? When does when does medium rare filet mignon steak F one team bring that value? <laughs> when, you know when do, when does a V carbs bring that value? They, they, they just don't. When they show up with a case full of cash. It's, yeah, uh, but we know that the Andrettis have that cash, and even if they didn't have that cash. We know that they have General Motors coming with them. We, like I know that their original intention was to enter for a year or two with a customer engine bef whilst General Motors got ready. And Formula One has said that they would look differently on an application for 2028 with General Motors there from the start, which seems massively short-sighted because, again, we know they're coming. We have, a, we have confirmation that General Motors will be coming. Why not have them already? You know... Uh, it's it really does every single part of this document screams of badly made excuses for why you weren't giving us enough money 
now. And it's it's, it's, it's one of the most imba- it's one of the most spiteful, embarrassing things that Formula One has ever done to itself, and that's inexcusable. Look, I'm not a lawyer or anything, but that like twenty point manifesto they published that opens them up for huge lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And I hope like, they do. It. Like the the amount of logical loopholes and stuff that. That that thing has like oh my gosh someone's gonna have a field day and make a lot of money as a lawyer because oh dang if if Andretti tries to pursue legal action I mean I'm just a layman but I think they got a pretty good case and because the FIA is a governing body they can force F1 to put Andretti on the grid and Andretti can earn points they just won't get any prize money but they could be allowed to compete or forcibly allowed to compete. And what so, an embarrassing day that would be for Formula One, where a team has to be, or champ- the championship has to be forced to allow someone to take part. You know, I, I, that's why it would never get to that point. You know, there, there would something would happen beforehand. Formula One surely wouldn't let something as embarrassing as that happen, right? <laughs> it's twenty twenty four, man. I have zero expectations. <laughs> I had zero expectations and hopes, and somehow Formula One still dashed all of them. I genuinely. What do you think, Greg? <laughs> Just sheer <laughs> disgust. I. I don't know. It, it it's ridiculous. I mean, on on one hand, you know, we we're talking about it. It takes money, but Andretti's not dumb enough to show up with a, a yes answer to any price tag, like you know, stake or any one of these Bitcoin fucking, you know, sponsors have, you know, that's all young money. Andretti's not young money. They're not stupid with it. So, I mean, it'll, it'll all work itself out in the end. Andretti knows how to play the long game. So that that was going to be my next question. So as you know, as you guys are both American shock for anyone listening, um, right. With formula one. So, laser focused on the american market over the last few years you know we've got 70 million races there that are mostly terrible um formula one you know is is begging to be successful in america and yet the opportunity it has to welcome an american entrant a proper one one that actually wants to compete gene um how do you feel about the fact that they have taken that opportunity to immediately turn them down I uh, I'm pretty sure I'm quoting another podcast here. Maybe Red Flags. I'm not 100 percent sure which podcast, but uh, Formula One doesn't need American representation. That's not what it means to Americans, right? Uh, if you want American representation, you go watch NASCAR or or IMSA or anything like that. You watch Formula One because it's European and different and exotic and all that. You know, we don't need. We don't necessarily need American representation. Do we want it? Sure. But it's not a necessity for the appeal to the American audience because that's not that's not what it is, you know, I think for a lot of people. So, you know, there's that, I guess. <laughs> I, yeah, I, a- I, I, I root for Haas because they're American, but if they were to get, you know, replaced by some other European entity, I wouldn't be upset. Yeah, kind of to piggyback off of that, like F one is not targeting blue collar America, which is the vast majority. They're targeting the uber rich influencers and celebrities. They don't actually care about 
appealing to mass market America. They just want that specific affluent segment. And Andretti kind of represents a little bit of that blue collar American spirit. That's why everybody loves him because Mario Andretti is an immigrant, came from Italy, came to the States, living the American dream, being one of the best race car drivers ever, and built a huge racing empire that's won in every single series that it's entered. And now he wants to re they want to re enter Formula One, but Formula One has never liked the Andrettis. They they really don't. They celebrate all their other past greats except the Andretti's because they have done great in so many other series. They their fame and fortune and success did not depend on them being in Formula One. They've achieved that without F one. So them entering F one already as a big name is a threat to F one because Andretti did not need them. So why would they want them to come play ball in their yard? So I think it's just both of them spitting in each other's faces. And it I don't know what's going to happen from here because Andretti's sunk so many resources into developing this car for this team for this time frame. I don't know where it goes from here. I don't know whether Gamebridge or GM really will enter in 2028 now. Because then the rules will change because F1 will force the rules to change with the new Concord agreement. The teams have too much say. And they already got off on the wrong foot. So now it's just a pure spite match between rich people. And it's a real shame. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And and as, I, as we entered this conversation topic, I said, what a shame that the Lewis Hamilton news came out when it did. Because it came out the day after this. And I don't, Convenient. I don't think the outrage <laughs> about this lasted nearly as long because of that. No, I, I think the outrage will come back. I still think everyone's kind of drunk on the Lewis Hamilton news at the moment. And I think we have not heard the last of this problem. And I think that's when the anger, anger will come back. But I feel like uh, it's a shame that we weren't given that full anger we period. Get, to, we didn't get the full punch in the gut. Yeah. Right, and, but it will right. come back, and and yeah, I will be interested to see. You know, we we had a comment from um, the Andrettis saying that they strongly disagree. Um, Mario Andretti himself tweeted that he was extremely disappointed by the news. Um, I think he said devastated, was devastated, was the, devastated. Was yeah, and, and and you would be, yeah. you know, as you say, JD, the, the Formula One's animosity toward the Andrettis goes way back to when he made his debut in the championship. And the, and the reluctance the FIA had for him being on the grid when he was and, and you know, coming back from doing some dirt sprint car racing the, a couple of days before in America. You know, the, the animosity is there all the way through, which is a shame because deep down, especially Mario, has such a huge love for the sport that it must be really painful seeing this continued animosity and, and, and disregard for them wanting to be on the grid and to add value because they would we've already established that andretti would add so much value to formula one not just monetarily but in this other thing which is some for some, you know money's a big thing but there is this other little thing called sport you know maybe formula one needs to remember that sometime but andretti would add Doubt to it. that as well <laughs> and and it must be so upsetting for him to have to see that again and again so I, I'm looking forward to see what Andretti do in response, whether that comes in the form of legal action, whether that comes in the form of them trying again in 2028, unbelievably. Um, but, but that's the thing. Do, do we think at this point, should Andretti continue 
to try and get into Formula One, despite the fact that nobody wants them? Or should they focus all of the money that they would be spending on this in other race programs to make them more successful there? What, what, what do we think? Should they just carry on? I mean, I, I see it going both ways. And either way, them being, you know, the right play. A, you keep pushing, you finally make it in, and you you do well in spite of all the bullshit that happened previously. Or you just say, fuck it, you know what? You don't want my money? I don't need to give it to you. I'm going to give it to somebody else. And then go win some championships there. And you could say, well, I guess it's a good thing we didn't join F1. Now look at these trophies. So... I mean, I think they're I think they're going to be good either way. It's fucking end ready. Exactly. They will survive. This isn't going to be the thing that that brings down the house, you know. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Andretti will continue to flourish in every championship they participate in. Right now, they're McLaren is kind of copying the Andretti thing in terms of entering multiple championships and putting massive amounts of investment and being successful in all those championships. Arguably, Andretti's done it first and better than McLaren has. We already know that Andretti's increased its sponsorship, and they've bought a part of the uh, the Spire Motorsports team at NASCAR. They've expanded their IMSA program with um, with Acura, and there's plans already in place to bring Acura, Andretti, Wayne Taylor Racing into the World Endurance Championship at some point. They already have a plan aside and past F1. F1 would just be the crown jewel to be like, hey, we are the motorsport brand. We are the motorsport team. Look at everything we do. We are freaking good at it. I mean, and plus just the backing they have from multiple manufacturers and Gamebridge, a multi-billion dollar corporation, aside from their other sponsors like DHL, or formerly DHL, and just all the other big names they grab from the American market, the American sponsors that everyone craves. Andretti has them. It's it's just a big black eye for F1 just because they're so spiteful because Andretti doesn't conform to the mold that they want all their teams to conform to because Andretti's been successful outside of the F1 mold. It is it's high school stupid drama between people with money. I everybody who's a sports person wishes Andretti would be on the grid and it's just a travesty that F1 is so short sighted and stubborn. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more. So we will see how the Andretti Formula One story continues to evolve over the next few months and years, I guess. We'll we'll see what happens next. Um, before we end this half or this first part, because it's going to be quite heavily first part weighed, um, we have our first bunch of Formula One car launches perhaps, maybe just one, um, to talk about. Um, firstly, and we're going to do this in the order of um, what I perceive as relevance, because only one of these three teams actually launched a car. Um, and that that accolade unbelievably goes to um, Filet Mignon, Steak, F1, Kick It, Punch It, Bop It, Twist It, Pull It, Formula One team, um, <laughs> as just today they unveiled their uh, C44 in London with a striking uh, black, grey um, and green livery uh, firstly just in reaction to the livery what do we think? 
I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's bold. No It'll definitely stick out on TV. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice to see a new color palette, really. You know, I know we've got green in the form of Aston Martin, but this is very different green. Um, it's almost Monster Energy green. It's, it's, it feels like it's just missing a Monster Energy sticker somewhere, but I'm glad it doesn't have it because then it would look like every paint made on Forza. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a nice looking car, but key is that it's an actual car. Now, the technical director, James Key, has already said that the car has developed so quickly and so aggressively that this car that they unveiled is already different to the one that they will shake down on Friday at Silverstone and the one that will be at testing. However, it is a car that, that has, has been developed with this year's regulations in mind and was a point in their development. And it is very different to last year's Alfa Romeo Salva. Um, highlights include they've moved from uh, push rod to pull rod suspension on the front whilst maintaining push rod suspension on the rear, which is a setup I believe also used by Red Bull and a number of other teams because it's more aerodynamic, which is important in this era of Formula One. Um, very aggressive body styling throughout. You've got an interesting little thin ledge that leads into the side pods, which is quite interesting. You've got a completely redone airbox design possibly in the wake of Zhou Guan Yu's crash at Silverstone where that concept failed um, you've got a very pronounced undercut to the side pods where where all the air is channeled strangely it goes down like the gap narrows and then widens again as the side pods go along which is quite interesting it looks like a very developed car but then again, if we fast, if we rewind to twelve months ago, we said that the Haas looked very developed, and look how that turned out. So, what, what do we what do we think? I still don't like stake and kick being on the car. Stake is a <laughs> cryptocurrency casino that it's actually illegal for U.S. citizens to participate in. Um, so there's lots of uh, moral implications there for those of you that care. I didn't know that. Uh, Morals in Formula yeah. One? Are you ridiculous? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Kick is just, they use the same API as Twitch. Like you look at the underlying code, it's just Twitch streaming, but without the rare Twitch rules. They don't follow any rules. Yeah, because apparently ironically. we needed a Twitch that had less rules. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, this is just more evidence of <laughs> F1 not not caring as long as they get money. So it is yeah. kick the streaming Finally service. Finally a place for me to stream. Uh, oh, God damn it. I just lost yeah, it. I think we were about to say the, the same v- thing. VR chat. <laughs> VR chat. <laughs> I was going to say is kick the streaming service where if I actually want to be naked in a hot tub, I can do it there. Is that the one? I don't know because I haven't visited. All right. It. Well, I don't well plan to. into the paddock hot tub streams coming soon to kick. Um, anyway, moving on. So, so, so the, this, yeah, we we don't mind the Sauber. It's fucking Sauber. Um, Haas also unveiled their car. This was on Friday. Now, this was again. It's not really the car. It's just, it's more the livery. Um, so, just based on the livery, I I, I like. The, I like the subtle changes they've made. It's it's not an offensive livery, and equally, it's not one that stands out very well. But I like the Haas logo on the side. You know, any, any other positive I mean, affirmations just, for it? 
they went with their normal tuxedo look. Black, white, red. You know. It looks fine. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It, it looks fine. I like how they redid the MoneyGram logo on the airbox kind of thing. I think that's better, but... I mean, it's a mostly black car. Their car is probably overweight. And I bet that's actually their car because they don't have the money to develop a show car and a real car. So that's just a real one. <laughs> Yikes. There's still very few sponsors on that car, though. Like, when you yeah. when you look at how many of them are Haas-related or... I'm surprised Chipotle's on there. I guess they get lunch catering from there. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to go over budget. Imagine going over budget on, on food, right? Anyway, Williams, uh, they also unveiled today a, a car that livery-wise, aesthetically, is very similar to this year's, but subtle changes. Mercifully, and I think this was the key thing for everybody, the Duracell battery stayed on the airbox. I think if they had got rid of that, there would have been riots <laughs> akin to F1 deciding to get rid of a fan-beloved motorsport team or refuse them. Uh, what, do we, what do we think of the, the Williams that was also just a livery? I every time I see the Duracell battery, I think of that uh, Duracell did a social media promotion video at one of the F1 races. I think it was Austin. I'm not 100% sure, but it was like, what do you put uh, your Duracell in, right? And one chick for sure said her vibrator <laughs> and they used that on their social media thing. It was just really funny. It just it was keeps good going and going and going. Right. And going. <laughs> and so that's what I think. Also, I did see I did see Haas made a tweet or an Instagram post of there was a picture of the Williams livery right now, and it says, "Why is our uh, team principal's name on the side of your car?" That was the, oh. that was the funniest thing I said. <laughs> what a strange series of co of coincidences where you know they just so happen to finally get rid of Gunter, and then they put Ayo Komatsu's name on the side of it. That's so, I'd never heard yeah. of this Komatsu company. Do, do we know what they do? Do the tractors? Yeah, it's like heavy machinery, like backhoes, I, I believe. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Excellent. I'm, I'm more intrigued by what is my protein. I'm not going to look them up because it's probably a scam, but the Duracell marketing, that is probably the most brilliant piece of marketing livery on an F1 car ever. And then we also see uh, more Does nobody understand the chrome rims? The, uh, the chrome I, rims I like are it, amazing. Chrome, I hate the chrome rims. They're no. <laughs> I do like the uh, the more obvious golf uh, badging on the Williams as well. So maybe we'll see a special golf livery for them at some point. Please. Please. Yeah, that's always best livery they ran last year. So yeah, so so far I would say two two unoffensive liveries in terms of Williams and Haas. You know, I don't think they really add much and they don't do anything bad really, so fair. Couple that with the McLaren. I think I still think the McLaren's the best one so far, just because of the color combination and what they did to kind of invoke the Marlboro stripes of the old liveries. I think that was really clever. Um, and yeah, the the, the steak filet mignon. I'm bored of this joke. Um, livery's pretty good as well. So so far, not bad. Um, we've got Alpine on Wednesday. Um, They've been suggesting that they might have a different livery this year, so we know they're not. Um, and then there's a whole raft of of team uh, launches in the next week or so after that as well. So we will react to the rest of them on the next show. Um, 
couple of other bits of F1 news just to rattle through before we actually end this first part because we're already an hour in. Um, sprint race, the sprint race format has changed again. Um, this came out just today. Um, it's it's actually, whilst I still don't like one aspect of it, it's a step in the right direction. Um, the format is essentially the same, but just re- reshuffled around. So now the idea is that um, Friday on sprint race weekends will be practice one and then sprint qualifying. And then Saturday will be in the morning, the sprint race followed by in the afternoon, or I imagine a little bit later to account for any damage sustained, the Grand Prix qualifying, and then the Grand Prix on Sunday. So that way it kind of keeps things in blocks. You're not jumping from Grand Prix qualifying on a Friday to Sunday. You know, it, it was very messy. It's a small change, but I think it, it tidies things up a little bit. I mean... They keep changing this thing. How how many iterations are we going to go through before we just finally settle on all settle on one? Because it wasn't bad before, you know. I under, like sure, fine. It's in blocks now, but damn, let's stop changing this thing. I'm with Max on it, right? Like let's just settle on a program. Stop fucking changing it. Quit adding. Quit subtracting. Quit changing it up, and it'll be fine. Keep doing it. I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I've said multiple times on this show. I would love to them to just do the F2 format. I don't believe you need a separate qualifying session just for the sprint. But if this, if you're, if you're going to have to keep it, just keep leave it at this, and keep it this way, and let people get used to it, and then we can actually work out whether we like it or not. It, it's the changing that's frustrating the most people a lot at this point. Um, I, I'll concede that a sprint race adds a little more action than a practice session, but. Just let people learn what the format is, for fuck's sake. <laughs> um, other bits of news, in, in, seemingly in reaction to everybody hating the news about Andretti, Formula One announced that the Japanese Grand Prix will be staying at Suzuka until 2029. This was amid rumors of a potential uh, falling off for Suzuka and a replacement with a street race in Osaka, because we all know how people love street races. Um, so that's really good news. You know, one of the most iconic tracks in Formula One. I, I said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Madrid, if we lost Suzuka for a street track, I would riot. So at least I don't have to riot about that and I can just focus on Andretti and everything else that's wrong with Formula One. Um, and finally, a little bit of adjacent Formula One news uh, from F1 Academy. As Red Bull have announced their drivers that they will be supporting this year, both through themselves and through VCARB. That actually pains me to say it. Um, <laughs> they will be supporting the Alcabasi sisters, Hamda and Amna, both very, very good drivers. Um, Hamda will drive for Red Bull Racing, Amna for VCARB. Um, but they will also be supporting an additional driver in the form of Emily de Huys, uh, the uh, uh, Dutch driver. Uh, she will also be a Red Bull-supported driver rather than VCarb, and all three of them will race for MP Motorsports. All three very good additions to what is already quite a talented grid. I am looking forward to F1 Academy this season. That about does it at last for this first part of the show. Uh, join <laughs> us for a shortened second half of the show where we will talk about the race action from NASCAR's Clash at the Coliseum as well as some other little bits of motorsport news from the last week, because apparently some more stuff happened. So join us shortly after this 
for that. With half the show gone, there's still half the show still to go. This is the Into the Paddock Podcast. This is the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. Go into the weekend with the Into the Apex Podcast, reliably producing sim racing and iRacing banter for over three years. Tyler, Bradley, Patrick, and Rob come together each week to hang out, and everyone's invited. Coming out of the Motorsport Weekend, there's the Into the Paddock Podcast, where Jordan, Greg, and John will dig deep into all the real motorsport happenings from pretty much every series out there. There are no cold takes on ITP. It's all on the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. We're here for you every week, and we're bringing the provocative motorsport talk. Into the Apex is excited to introduce a monthly subscription. For 99 cents a month, get regular, exclusive audio and video content on the Into the Apex podcast feed, presented by Spotify. Into the Apex After Dark? Only fans Into the Apex? Infowars Into the Apex? We're not too sure what it's called just yet, but we do know that it's edgy, it's provocative. It's everything we do here at the End of the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. To subscribe, go to endoftheapex.com and hit the subscription button down below. This, this is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast, Podcast Network. Network. And welcome back to the second part of this week's Into the Paddock podcast episode. Before we get underway with some Clash at the Coliseum um, conversation, alliteration, love it. Uh, be sure that you are following us on all our various social media channels. We are at Into the Paddock with the number two on Twitter and Instagram. That way you can stay up to date with when our latest episodes go live. You can also check out our YouTube channel which is linked in the descriptions for both of those channels. That way you can see clips from the show. If you, for some reason, want to turn this from an audio experience to a visual one, I uh, we, we are not liable for any damages that come as a result of that. Um, also, be sure to check out our affiliated podcasts on the Into the Apex podcast network and subscribe to the Into the Apex YouTube channel to see video clips from their show. And if you're a fan of everything at the Into the Apex podcast network, you can subscribe for 99 cents a month for premium access through Spotify and Anchor. You can check out all of that at intotheapex.com and uh, join their Discord as well so you can uh, interact with us. We're all on there. We can discuss anything from this episode or previous episodes right there. So hit us up. If you want to write a TED Talk about something related, I will happily reply. <laughs> <laughs> you really are like a, um, a chat GTP for useless motorsport. Like, it's just like, JD, t tell me about NASCAR's charter system problems and you know, just paragraphs. I was just going to say, it's going to come in handy here. Uh, here it will. A bit. It will literally yeah. in about 10 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's something we very much enjoy. Um, one thing that we weren't going to enjoy was going to be uh, Machine Gun Kelly's performance at the NASCAR Clash at the Coliseum. However, Mother Nature agreed, and and therefore it didn't happen. So 
the clash at the Coliseum, the pre-season event for the NASCAR Cup Series in 2024, was meant to take place on Sunday. However, due to the biblical rain that is hitting the Los Angeles area for a Sunday and through most of this week, NASCAR, I hope you're all sat down, made a good call and a quick call to uh, move the ra- move the clash to Saturday. Um a move that was widely praised by everybody, which is not something that happens a lot in NASCAR. So fair credit to them. Um, essentially what this meant was that, uh, the heat races would be canceled. The last chance qualifying race would be canceled. Instead, they had their previously planned three practice sessions with the final one, uh, determining grid position, uh, except now without the heats and everything that would just be the grid for the clash. Therefore, there would be 22 people who would qualify for the race and a 23rd based off of the 2023 owner's point. Whoever whoever was not in and had the highest tally would get that point. Um, interestingly, that would go to Ryan Blaney, the champion, who had a terrible qualifying session but relied on the fact that he's champion to get in, which was quite cool for him. Um, not if you're Josh Williams, though, because I was really sad he didn't make it because he was looking really close and pretty quick, but is what it is. Um, interestingly... Because of the decision earlier, so you might remember a couple of episodes ago, there was some uproar because Saturday was originally meant to be closed for attendance. Um, A lot of fans who paid a lot of money for tickets complained and therefore they opened up Saturday for free. Despite the fact that the clash was moved from Sunday to Saturday, they kept Saturday free and uh, refunded everyone who paid for tickets for Sunday. Again, really good cause. However, let's, before we talk about the race action, address the elephant in the room. It was free and no one was there. Yeah, I was about to say, it, like, they didn't have a lot of work to do in the office there that day, right? <laughs> we My got God. spared MGK. Everybody got spared a lot of things, man. I oh. mean, like, it was, it, it was a good day to be a beer at the Coliseum <laughs> that weekend. Nobody was drinking. Nobody was there. What the fuck? They literally couldn't give... I, I think NASCAR is pandering to an audience that just does not give a shit. Right? Like, you're good at a lot of things. This isn't fucking one of them. Um, go do something else. Somewhere else. I don't know. It just doesn't look good. Yeah, stop trying to make LA a thing. It's always they don't want you. I, that yeah. sounds really harsh. I, I, first, I do want to say, like, props to NASCAR for making the decision to move the date and keep it free to try to you know, get the show on TV and also let the fans enjoy it or the fans that did show up. Ironically, I felt more fans showed up for the NASCAR Mexico race after the clash than actually showed up for the actual clash. Um, and I see why after watching the NASCAR Mexico race, they put on a show. Yeah. Um, we'll talk yeah, about like that. We've as well. seen it. <laughs> yeah. We, we've, we've seen through these three years of the clash in the Coliseum that the audience, no matter what, just really isn't there. The only fans that show up, are for the music acts like, Oh, I want to see Pitbull or ice cube do a quick four song set. And then I'm going to skedaddle. Oh wait, there's cars there. Meh. Like it's, it's not a market that I feel has, has like really gravitated towards NASCAR the way that NASCAR has wanted it to. There's just too many other things to do in LA, too many other sporting events, live events, music, everything that gets people's attention other than, nascar in a bullring yeah so to preempt something that we were going to talk about later but i guess we're already on there and 
fan attendance seems to be I, I if the racing was really good i still don't think anyone would show up because of just where it is and what it is so by that metric i assume we all think the clash should go somewhere else um do we still think this is preferential to when they were at daytona uh yeah i don't i don't think it needs to be a daytona right especially if it's not a points thing you know, you, you Daytona, you always run the risk of spending a lot of money. That was especially on damage, yeah. on on damaged under the cars. So it definitely needs to be somewhere that doesn't see a whole lot of damage to the cars. Now you're not going to get a whole lot of pack racing, but something exciting. You know, so I'm thinking like Texas, no, I, Iowa, maybe. You I know, think like, I think the solution for me, the the clash has to be different. Otherwise, it's just another race. Why not make it points paying? So from my point of view, the Jedi are evil, but you you want to make it something unique. So you combine it with something else unique that NASCAR has been trying to push for the last few years that ultimately failed because of execution. You put it on dirt. You go to a dirt track. I was just thinking that. Yeah. yeah. Eldora. The Clash yeah, Eldora, Eldora. Knoxville. Anywhere like that. Hey, firstly, make it a fucking dirt track. Don't put dirt on a racetrack. Yeah. Like, Put, just go to a dirt track um uh, what's the point of celebrating the dirt community if you don't go to a dirt place like you got to do it properly. oh man could you imagine nascar at williams grove why not you know well, uh, right it's 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 january still sir <laughs> ah so maybe then the answer is that we move the clash and don't make it pre-season anymore because i, I you know the whole reason no, was- no 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 I, I like the pre-season yeah, but then if we're going to put it on dirt, then where do you put it that's going to not be inhospitable? Hmm. So hmm. you either make it preseason or you put it on dirt, I think. like, But but either way, you've got to do something different. I don't think the answer is go back to Daytona. I don't think the answer is stay in LA. As you said, JD, they're just not that into you. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. Listening to Denny Hamlin's podcast, the clash isn't special anymore. No. It just isn't. Uh, he said that the clash uh, money payout was a quarter of what normal races are. So the teams are losing money hand over fist with travel and accommodation costs to have this event. And two, it's not special because they just invite the whole field to come out, whether you make the race or not. And the clash used to be just the poll winners from the previous year, which made it extra special. Like, hey, these are the fastest dudes over one lap in our series going out to see who's the actual fastest. Yeah. You know, but I agree, and everyone agrees that them wrecking all their cars at Daytona wasn't worth it and it wasn't fun and it wasn't a good show. Where do they go? I don't know. I, th- I think I like the idea of like an exhibition race on dirt or an exhibition race of them in something that's not a cup car. Like, I mean, like, like we saw the NASCAR Mexico series race. They're basically glorified late models, put all the cup cars in late model cars at some track, North Wilkesboro, some other track in the South, have them in their cup paint schemes and let a rip. I think that'd be a great show. What's coming back soon that has just been IROC. bought? IROC. Why not repurpose the IROC cars for that event yeah, or something? Yeah. You know, but I love that idea. Put them something about it has to be different, be it the location or be it the cars. I hadn't considered the cars. That's a very good idea. Um just do something different. Uh, yeah. and 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 I, I think you've got to bring back that 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 ticket to entry as well. You know, there's gotta be something special about how you qualify for this event. Or- help make it not even a race it could be like a like an all-star like invite all the pole winners from last year and do skills challenges right 
Like, no, because that doesn't really work for like the NFL Pro Bowl, the skills challenges. Who watched the Pro Bowl this year? Neither, none of us. Not did. I. Shut up, Jordan. I did, count. but I was ill. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have if I wasn't. <laughs> I mean, but like, it's not. It that doesn't really grab an audience. But if you say had like a million dollar shootout, cup stars and late models, you know, I think that would work out really well. I think that'd be something exciting and energize the NASCAR regional crowd that feels neglected, the short track crowd, and let the drivers actually make a difference in the cars and the race rather than the error dependent current yeah. next gen cars. Modifieds at Volusia right down the street from Daytona. Yeah, something like <laughs> you know? that. Yeah, get in touch yeah. with your 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 um your regional championships. Yeah. Absolutely. We're all about bringing back old tracks. Let's do the old Daytona track that goes like down the the beach <laughs> and up the, the back up the street and shit. So like, it doesn't have somehow. to. Yeah, like the race just needs to be commercial success on TV, and then pack. Even if you pack a small stadium, I mean, it'll look a heck of a lot better than having five thousand people in the LA Coliseum. But if you have ten thousand people packed to the gills at a short track with that kind of energy. That would be bonkers. Yeah, I mean, look at SRX and the, the atmosphere that was at those races. You know, comparatively, very small crowds compared to a cup race. However, it was packed out for that venue, and the atmosphere was amazing. And if you can yeah. encapsulate that somehow, do it. Yeah. Anything will be better than what tracks, we do now. <laughs> these short tracks are like, you know, canned heat, man. I mean, it doesn't take a huge crowd to get to get the energy just, you know, flowing for the whole event so i i agree with you let's go to a, let's go to a short track small venue inject some money into these mom and pop racetracks uh and get something different it's gonna look cars. good on tv and not use cup cars yeah exactly jd yeah. because we know this car isn't very good at the short track thing um even if they got it good differentiate it from a normal race because at the moment what's really the difference you know to the average person you look at the clash and then you look at a regular season short track race all that's different is this this shell to be honest and because there was nobody in the crowd they hardly showed any of the shell this weekend so really what was the difference between racing there and racing in a car parking lot somewhere um on to the actual racing it, it wasn't amazing <laughs> it wasn't great um I would say this was probably the worst in terms of actual racing action clash that we've had since they moved to LA. I don't think even last year, I think was a little bit more exciting, but I say exciting with an asterisk because it was just more chaotic and that's what made it more exciting. This, there was some pushing, there was some shoving, there was a little bit of spinning, but there wasn't a lot. And when it was allowed to go on for a while, it kind of stretched out really quickly. So I, I don't know. It's just, you know, three tries and it's still not very good in terms of racing action either. Yeah. I mean, it's it, the, the, the first time was exciting, you know, watching it in a, on a track, like it just in an unconventional environment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was, that was, that was fun to watch. And now it's just the novelties like, worn off. Yeah, 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 I I keep hearing that uh, the soundbite from uh, was it Christopher Bell last year. This is fun. <laughs> We're having fun. The best you know? thing to come out of the clash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so I mean, it, it, everything was just it just felt off. Even even Denny Hamlin being an asshole at the end of the race didn't have the same impact. 
Yeah, that line worked <laughs> it once. Normally then. does. You know, that, that's not your catchphrase. You know, it worked no, once at Bristol. Yeah, not again. He, he, yeah. he acknowledges that he's retiring the catchphrase because it's not fun anymore. No, no. Yeah. So I mean, you just from from top to bottom, the show just wasn't good. And and that's not to knock Denny Hamlin. I think he's a needed villain in uh, in the NASCAR storyline. You know, keep reaching for uh, whatever's going to piss people off. But uh, yeah, everything just felt off for the. For the clash, go. I mean, we just talked about it for five minutes. Go fucking go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. This isn't short track racing. No, it just isn't. No, like you're right, Greg. Like the first year, it was a ton of novelty because new next gen cars, new venue, unconventional. Everybody like wanting to see if yeah. this will actually work or not, and it just doesn't with this package and this crowd. Like we've already spoken about, the race was was better in terms of racing than the other years. Cause yeah. you didn't have everybody trying to give each other concussions the whole time and people actually getting concussions, you know, now you still saw people shoving it in there into the corners, but it, it just didn't give that sizzle of like a good short track race does like with right. comers and goers. And if you bump the car ahead of you, you risk hurting your car, not just these cars being so rigid and robust that they can just take a beating at lap after lap. There's no consequences for anything yeah. these drivers do unless you're John Hunter Nemechek or Ty Gibbs getting punched in the face. I, <laughs> I, I think, I think NASCAR can, can do well to pull off this uh, heat race format. Right. Uh, it, it does make it exciting. It feels like a, a Saturday night at the dirt track, all that, but it just doesn't work here. You know, I, I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but it's a horse that needs to be but, beaten. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, I, I think, I think so much of the bad show can be attributed to the physical location of the show, right? And I think if you just change that one thing, actually put some thought into a location about how, like, even even if you didn't want to change the the car and wanted to keep the the current you know next gen cup car in the show, where is going to work out best? For this heat race, you, you, we still have oh man a clash at North Wilkesboro, like you were saying, like in a heat race format, that could be a lot of fun. I mean, but it just yeah, I think just being here with no crowd on a shitty track that's temporary, that you know is is just way too small. It's it's, it's yeah. detracting from NASCAR and what 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 it can be. I- I think best places for them to have this would be to move it to Charlotte, which now doesn't have the all-star race anymore. So that's an extra race you could put there or even at Homestead, Miami, where it's a little bit warmer and Homestead creates great racing, regardless of what generation car NASCAR is thrown at it for the last 20 years. And they only have one race date right now. And that's criminal, you know, of all the tracks that could have a second race date in NASCAR Homestead would be my first pick because as you say, the racing is always incredible. And their it's and very near to a very big market. Yeah, their mile and a half package is great. Go to where your package is great and they can put on a show. Yeah, and heat racing yeah. at that track. I mean, I'd, I'd be down to see this format at Homestead. Yeah, that that of, of tracks that are currently on the schedule. Yeah, that would be the one I'd go for. But for, for what actually happened at the Clash, um, Hamlin started on pole. Um in the weird qualifying session where basically if you had the right session in the middle where the track was warm and it hadn't cooled off in temperature yet, then you were going to do well. Uh, but nevertheless, Hamlin got pole. He led the first 50 ish laps and then lost the lead, um, after getting muscled out of the way. 
Um, he then fell back over the course of the like the latter half of the second, the first half of the race, and into much of the second half of the race as well. He he fell back into about like seventh, sixth ish, um, with Ty Gibbs leading the lion's share of the laps. Uh, Dash was going pretty well for a, for a period there. Um, but toward the end of the race, the inevitable caution started to come and that gave a, a, a caution with uh, 10 laps to go, gave Hamlin a chance to come back. He restarted third after working his way back up into contention, um, managed to muscle his way up into the lead, uh, making taking advantage of Ty going wide. And from there, there was an overtime finish. We thought Hamlin was going to get used to fuck, but... He managed to have a really good restart, and despite the fact that he was locking his brakes into every corner, he was still making the corners, and he managed to go on to win. Um, you know that storyline, I suppose, was quite good, but yeah, the race just kind of wasn't. <laughs> yeah, the race wasn't good. The storyline is great, especially with this week the NASCAR Netflix series coming out and Danny Hamlin being a superstar in that series. I think he was one of the first drivers that said, you asked me, you have all the access you want. The answer is the default yes to the Netflix clue, crew unless I say no. And he encouraged both his drivers, Tyler Reddick and Bubba Wallace, to also do the same. I think that's incredibly smart of him. Like like you, we've been talking this week, Danny Hamlin outside of the car we are a huge fan because he's really intelligent, eloquent and business savvy. And all these moves he's making are really great. And the way he explained things to fans, he treats them with respect for their intelligence. He doesn't talk down to them when he's explaining how the business works, how the charter system works, what he's planning to do with his team, how he balances competing against his own team and just how much passion he has for the sport and how he races people. It's all fantastic stuff. I see why people are coming around on Denny Hamlin, especially seeing just how open he is and honest with everything he's, he's trying to do. So good, good for the storylines. Good for him. Good for NASCAR. NASCAR should be happy to have him. And, and very, have y'all watched it? Yeah, yeah I was going to say a very brief side note: the na- the Netflix series is very good. I, I haven't I, watched it yet. Watch it. it it's it's yeah. honestly. It's all the best things, which aren't many, about Drive to Survive, but without any of the over-sensationalism, really good access to all of the drivers who, who gave access. Denny is a star yeah. in it. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I I'll love have to check it. it out. It's really, it's, really good. It might but, be one of the best things that NASCAR has done media-wise in a long, long time. This isn't their first foyer into like making oh, these no. kinds of documentaries. They had one on, it's, I think it was Motor Trend or Peacock or something like that, and it wasn't that bad. But I, you know, like you were saying with the the you know access and just it being better than Netflix, I think that it's easier to do a NASCAR. These guys have more personality than the the media robots that are Formula One drivers. Yeah, and, yeah, and Aaron, this is a true NASCAR docu series, not reality trash tv kind of thing where they're trying to be funny or fake this is actual like oh hey we're at his house he's not just putting on a party for show it's like okay i'm in the film room going over data kind of stuff yeah they they don't need to over dramatize anything because everything is quite exciting who'd have thought if you have a good product it's not hard to market um so yeah yeah hamlin ended up winning uh he's almost won as many clashes as Dale Earnhardt, I believe. This was his fourth win of a clash. Um, 
Kyle Busch finished second once again on the podium because there's one of those here. Um, <laughs> I'm sure why they didn't tell us. <laughs> <laughs> you know they wanted to though, but again they didn't. Uh, Ryan Blaney finished third despite having only made the race on his provisional. Uh, he came from the rear two thirds, so that was a very very good drive. Uh, Joey Logano and Kyle Larson rounded out the top five after Larson decided to bin off Bubba Wallace on the final lap of the race. He then proceeded to do what Kyle Larson does and say he didn't mean to do it, which for the most talented racing driver in the world, it's convenient how many times he doesn't mean to do something. I mean, Um, that's why he's the most talented racing driver in the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, he just does it subconsciously, you know, he is an asshole. He's so talented that when he makes mistakes, it's just pure talent. It is. It is. Just talent comes swiftly shining out of his asshole. Um (laughs) <laughs> but yeah it, it wasn't a great race which which then made the contrasting mexico series race really quite something enjoyable to watch it happened it was meant to happen before the clash on the sunday due to the the weather they had to do it afterwards and they finished with half an hour before the rain started to fall worked out perfectly and what a treat it was as you said jd these cars suit this track it i i likened it to how when formula e races at monaco it makes you realize how bad formula one is at monaco the mexico series put on a show yeah <laughs> I, I felt like i was putting in a time capsule back 20 years to when nascar still had the gen 4 cars seeing the cars be so soft in the suspension and just seeing the drivers actually make a difference in terms of how fast they are and how they actually had to approach the racecraft of racing a short track because those cars still have the very fragile uh, bumpers and fenders and you saw cars getting torn up the more they hit each other so they couldn't just keep on plowing into people they had to actually have some type of finesse and racecraft it was extremely refreshing to see you saw the brakes glowing so the cars pivoting and diving under braking into the corners they put on a fantastic show they didn't have very many cautions. Um, so you had comers and goers in the race, people who burned up their tires early, people who saved their tires, and then that crossover period. It was just purely enjoyable to watch. Like, yeah, they had a couple cautions and some wild moves, but it was all just – it was short track racing. It was true, pure short track racing, and that's something NASCAR has lacked for a long time now. It was – like the formula for good short track racing has not changed NASCAR's car has, but the elements, high horsepower, low grip, fragile cars that you can't beat the snot out of, that's how you have good short track racing. It, it was it was great. What kind of what kind of tracks do these guys race at normally? Because I don't follow NASCAR Mexico at all. Like I, they do a lot of road course racing in, in Mexico. They too, do, but they? they do have a surprising, maybe to some people, amount of normal nascar ovals you know they have a lot of 1.5 milers in mexico and and it's i i hardly ever watch it but from what clips i've seen from their social media and before this race i went and had a look at some mexico series uh highlights from last year it's really good racing and it's probably of all the international versions of nascar it's the one that is the most relevant to what NASCAR actually is. You know, the European series just doesn't quite cut it. The Brazil series, the cars are so different. It's basically Brazilian stock cars, which isn't a bad thing, but it's not, you can't see really the NASCAR in it. The Mexico series, you know, you you could pick it up and put it as one of the three touring series along with the cup series, and it would fit right in perfectly. 
It's really, nice. really good. Okay. And that is why, of... that's why yeah. Daniel Suarez has been able to seamlessly transition over from one to the other because they're so alike. And um, speaking of, Daniel Suarez was the driver that won this race on his first time racing in the Mexico Series in about 10 years, I believe. Um, he managed to win. He wasn't the fastest. I think even he would, he admitted that in post race. He said that he knew he wasn't the quickest. So he just had to make sure he had the equipment ready for the end. Um, a restart came, uh, relatively late on. He managed to get the lead. And from there he looked fairly comfortable, um, managing to beat, um, Santiago Tovar to, uh, to, to win the race after 150 laps. Uh, the top five um, rounded out by Alex de Arba, Rogelio Lopez, and Jake Kojo. And it was just a really, really good race. The, the crowd was great. It seemed like, as you said earlier, JD, it seemed like more people turned out for the Mexico race. There were loads of Mexican fans and fans of Suarez in, 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 in the crowds, which was good considering he didn't make the clash. <laughs> um, it, it was it was just a really, really nice that the day wasn't completely wasted. <laughs> Yeah, it was super refreshing to to have that at the end. It, it was it was nice. I, I'd love for them to to maybe you know we we see the the touring series chop and change which events they go to. I would love to see the Mexico series guest spot more on the on the NASCAR slate of, of touring series. You know whether it's just the rounds that are nearer Mexico. You know may, maybe if it's those races, you know races in California or or maybe Vegas, you know, Arizona. Why, why not invite the Mexico series up? I, I know there's cost. They're smaller outfits, but I'd love to see more of it. Yeah. I think, I think that's something that uh, just motorsports industries in general need to do a little bit more is, you know, kind of group together. Let's have some joint weekends. I, I, the WEC IMSA weekend was pretty cool at Sebring. You know, I know a lot of people are happy to see that go, but I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's see what happens to the clash in the future. Um, some change would be needed, but maybe they could just you know fuck the cup series off and um, <laughs> have the Mexico series take over the event. Um, there was some off track news from NASCAR as well. Um, probably the chief of which, despite the fact that it came out on the same day that Lewis Hamilton announced a little driver move, so it kind of got buried. Uh, NASCAR and an ongoing dispute regarding the extension of the charter agreement. Oh, what sexy subjects we get to talk about on this show. <laughs> I, I admittedly did not pay much attention to this because I was ill and shocked by Lewis Hamilton. JD, you, I believe you paid a little bit more attention to what's going on here. Yeah, uh, a little bit. Um, so NASCAR has been running on a charter system for the past few years this means that there are permanent teams that have bought a charter which means they are entitled to run into the series they're guaranteed an entry and they allowed a market to develop for these entries into the nascar cup series and we've heard how much these charters have been worth to some teams in the early days of it is like oh team x bought team y's charter for five million dollars like okay that's a nice chunk of money but now as nascar has kind of gained more esteem we've seen the price of these charters skyrocket to 40 plus million dollars etc because they are worth something to have a car that's guaranteed to win prize money in the nascar cup series now that was established by the prior charter agreement the teams in NASCAR have been negotiating this new agreement for the past couple of years now, and the teams have been holding out for NASCAR to get its new TV deal signed so they, they can actually renegotiate 
the teams cut of the TV money so they can all like plan their business models and their budgets around what money they should be that should be coming in. NASCAR just finished the TV deal a few months ago, and the teams had agreed with NASCAR to extend the deadline for this new charter agreement uh, deadline through the end of January. They've now reached past the end of January without an agreement being reached. So now everything's kind of up in the air, whether the fake market for charters has, has been burst, essentially. They're kind of going on like a month-to-month basis now, kind of like how other businesses' service agreements go. Like they'll just continue as they're going on until a new agreement comes up. But this creates problems for NASCAR and the teams. The teams, uncertain future, uncertain money supply from the NASCAR TV deal, which they got 40% more money from the TV partners. The teams want a nice chunk of that money so they can keep on sustaining operations. Um, The team's budgets depend on the value sometimes of these charters because Denny Hamlin, he spent almost $80 million on charters to establish 2311. And then if the new charter agreement says, oh, by the way, we're doing away with charters, he wasted almost $100 million of Michael Jordan's money on charters that mean nothing. So that, that creates big implications. But at the same time, this is a problem for NASCAR because now the teams have the option. They can make a breakaway series if they wanted to, legitimately. Like They are not beholden to race in NASCAR-sanctioned events. They can go do their own thing if they wish. The only that caveat is that drivers... <laughs> In their contracts, they have it kind of written that the teams must provide them with a race car to race in NASCAR events. So there, it's not going to happen. At least we hope it's not going to happen. But there is the potential for an ugly NASCAR split a la the IndyCar series 30 years ago. And nobody wants that to happen for obvious reasons. But because they don't have pen to paper and agreement signed, it is a distinct possibility that teams could fail, the series could split, and it could just tank everything they've worked so hard to build over the past 75 years. So they're in a very precarious situation. I don't think they'll fail. They better not fail. But they've let themselves get into the situation without a resolution. And none of the people involved are stupid or short-sighted. So that makes it extra worrying. At the very least, what there's you- a very realistic possibility of some protests, right? There, there's there's rumors of there being some visible action from teams at events. Um, you know, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to go down the pan completely. I, I think NASCAR is too focused on making money for that to happen, potentially. Um, but there, there is a very good chance that we see the consequences of this become evident during a race weekend, which would be, you know, NASCAR teams trying to make a point. Yeah. Cause like Denny Hammond touched on it a little bit. The only way that 2311 stays in business is with the current model with the charters remaining in place. If that system gets tossed aside, he said that 2311 is not sustainable. He'll have to shut it down. And he's not the only team owner in that boat. We've already seen that Matt Collig Racing is having some financial sponsorship issues with the current system. If that current system goes away, say goodbye to Collig, say goodbye to 2311, say goodbye potentially to other teams like Spire, you know, Rick Ware Racing, like all these teams that aren't, you know, Hendrick, Joe Gibbs, and RFK. 
the teams will be in huge trouble with this. So hopefully, yeah. knock on wood, they figure their crap and pull it together. Yeah, you've seen a lot of new teams come in in the past few years, and to see all of them just fizzle away because of the lack of a deal would just be terrible for, I mean, everyone involved, but including the image of the sport, you know? And this also yeah. makes, this whole situation makes it, NASCAR seem unattractive for new people to get involved as well. I mean, I know there's limited spots available unless you buy the charter off of somebody else anyway, so it's already a little bit of a hurdle, but who is going to want to get involved with all of this uncertainty going around at the moment? There was, in, in the wake of the Andretti news, um, Brian Murphy uh, for RFK Racing tweeted saying, you know, Andretti, NASCAR Cup Series charters are going around for $50 million. That $600 million F1 entry fee could go a long way around here, you know, hinting at Andretti's wow. long, long rumored desire to get into NASCAR. Denny Hamlin replied, only if they're okay with getting minus 15 times league revenue. He's got a point. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's, it's damaging for teams and for the sport itself. You would think that in a, in a business so big as NASCAR that they would have sorted this by now, but clearly yeah, we've got to go for the next step. This has been completely avoidable on both parties' part, and they've still done it anyway. Welcome to so. NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we won't see something like, you know, like the, the MLB is relatively famous for having several strikes throughout its history. Or we just didn't have baseball for a little while. I know a few years ago, like spring training was on the verge of not happening because of a, a league strike. So hopefully something like that doesn't happen and we don't have to miss out on a, on a bunch of racing. But, you know, who knows? When you start messing with these guys' money, and this is honest, at the end of the day, all these guys are doing are managing a business, right? Like they go out there, they fight on the track, but that's only one day out of the week. The other six days, they're doing business deals and, and shuffling money around so they can keep racing. So, Yeah, the only thing that will keep the teams on the track in the short term is the sponsorship obligations to have those cars on the track and on the TV screen so they can get that sponsorship money. But as far as prize money and everything else is concerned, they are not happy with NASCAR. No. So it's looking good. Um, kind of, <laughs> a couple yeah. of other little bits of NASCAR news just to, to rapidly get out of the way before we end today's show because we're, we're running a little long, uh, but discussion's good. So we have to we have to do it. Um, I, I edged everybody with it at the start of the episode, but Riley Herps um, is going to be racing part-time in the NASCAR Cup Series again this year after making a couple of starts with Rick Ware Racing last year. Um, he will be driving the number 15, for races including the daytona 500 um he was pretty impressive last year for the limited amount of rides he got he got 10th in his debut at the daytona 500 so uh, I, but you could see that he was quite often running near the front but people weren't willing to work with him because he was a rookie so how do you solve that you race more so I, i'll be excited to see what they do um colleague racing have also announced that they will be the team that will field shane van gisbergen in his seven nascar cup series races this year he will be driving the number 16 that is going to be shared amongst a couple of drivers including aj Allmendinger uh, and others uh svg's races are going to be cota on march 24th talladega his first super speedway race on april 21st although he will have done the xfinity race the day before so never mind uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway for the Coke 600, the Chicago Street Course, rip everyone else, 
Watkins Glen, <laughs> uh, Talladega again, gaining some much needed cup uh, super speedway experience, Las Vegas, and that's it. So I'm excited to see what else he does. I mean, obviously, he's going for, for the full championship season in, in Xfinity. That's going to be his focus, but we all know where his career is headed, provided he continues to improve. Uh, so I'm excited to see how he does in more cup opportunities. <laughs> JD Ooh. is dancing. That's how you know it's good. Let's let's gore. <laughs> let's gore. Um, let's gore. Not quite Australia. Lost, but, all, uh, the, uh, <laughs> lost all the Kiwi and Australian fans. <laughs> I apologize for these two. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, they have the same accent, right? Yeah, close enough. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, we'll, we'll get onto Australia again in a moment, but before that, some IndyCar news. Uh, Dreyer and Reinbold Racing have confirmed the two drivers they are going to be entering the Indy 500 with. They are an Indy 500 only team as of now. Uh, they will be fielding Connor Daly in the 23 car and Ryan Hunter Ray in the 24 car. Uh, the DRR cars have always have got the potential to be competitive in the month of May. So you put in two drivers who are competitive at the Indy 500 traditionally, or at least in the mix. Good mix. I like that. Uh, and Q6 Motorsports are going to be a partner across both entries instead of just one like they were last year with Stefan Wilson. So that's good to see Q6 expanding a little bit more into IndyCar racing. Uh, shame it won't be with Stefan, especially after how his bid to race last year ended up going with, after being injured on carb day. But good nonetheless. Good good, good for Dreyer to, uh, to um, confirm those two really capable drivers. Ryan Hunter Ray's been pretty good in the past, hasn't he? <laughs> Especially Indy. I've only gone and won the damn thing once. <laughs> Good old Captain America. He doesn't deserve that name anymore. <laughs> and that's why I said it. Um, fi- final bit of news before we really must end the show. A little bit of a, a continuation on with the breaking news that we had in last year, last year, last week's episode regarding Brody Kostecki's split with Erebus Racing. Um, the story has evolved a little bit, but we still don't know much. Um, Erebus Racing is still insisting that Kostecki remains a part of the Erebus Racing family, yet he is informed that he will be unable or not in a position to take part in the opening round of Bathurst from February 25th to 25th. Todd Hazelwood, as we said, will be standing in for him. Um, but we don't know. We, d- we don't know whether, um, whether Brody is going to be coming back. Brody has stayed silent throughout all of this. We've had some comments from the likes of Shane Van Gisbergen and Scott McLaughlin hinting at something going on behind the scenes that we don't know. And it's very important that whilst we don't know something as fans, it does not mean that we are entitled to that information. If something is going on behind the scenes, then obviously Brody's privacy needs to be respected whilst he goes through whatever he's going through. Um, from what it sounds like, supercars could be doing a better job of supporting him, um, which is something that we've heard from Shane and Scott in the past with regards to series support when it comes to issues like this. Oof. So, yeah, we, we don't know what is going on, but what we do know is is that, that, that Brody won't be in the car for bar first, but he may or may not return later on. Um, when he does, it will be without Coca-Cola sponsorship, or, or perhaps maybe they will come back if he does. But it was announced just today that Coca-Cola, the primary sponsor of Brody's 99 car during his reigning, his championship winning season last year, they have split with the team because of this issue, because of what is going on, this uncertainty. Wow. Um, it's, it's not a good situation. 
Yeah, all the sponsors, all the major sponsors for the team are leaving. I think Shaw Partners is another one. You already said Coca-Cola. There's a couple other uh, financial firms that were also sponsoring the car that have also pulled their funding. One of the sponsor owners like saying like this is a really bad toxic thing. You know, you have a couple that's dating and they're and they've separated. You know and that you're kind of they're kind of caught in the middle and they don't want to be caught in the middle anymore so for everybody's sake they're just getting out like that's not a good place to have your sponsors saying that and Erebus is just like they've had a, a reputation for having a, a semi-toxic culture when it comes to drivers and sponsorship so you know it's just really unfortunate that uh that Brody's getting caught in the middle of everything so it, it's just just really sad. I hope everything gets resolved for for his sake and doesn't really hamper his career because he is an amazingly talented driver in supercars to beat out SVG in his swan song season. And then we already know he's has aspirations to compete in NASCAR as well. So really, you know, heart goes out to him that this doesn't really negative effect negatively affect him as much as it has already. And as soon as we learn anything more about the situation, we will obviously. Uh, bring that to you in future episodes and with that that is uh, about the end of this week's episode so much to talk about um if, if you've got any thoughts on anything we discussed today regarding lewis hamilton regarding andretti regarding Brody kostecki or steak medium rare f1 team kick volley throw sauber f1 team two electric boogaloo whatever it is now <laughs> let us know on 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 twitter instagram uh, we're at into the paddock with the number two on social media accounts um join the madsen racing discord you can you can reach us there as well uh we are also on social media we are um we all have our own accounts i'm at jgroves1996 on twitter twitter and instagram uh greg where can we find you uh, Speed Rat Racing on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and now Threads. I made a Threads account. Oh, you got Threads. I've just come off it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't uh, used it at all, uh, but it exists. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, Speed Rat Racing. Find me everywhere. Uh, Wednesdays, I believe, we're having a uh, uh, stream on there for CSRL. There you so, go. Yeah, hit me up then. Check that out. JD, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PedanticScrollOf1R and also on YouTube at JD55SimRacing, where when I do sim race, I'll post some highlights. There you go. Well, that does it for this week's episode of the Into the Paddock podcast. Join us next week where I'm not sure whether there's any racing going on next week. I think it might oh, be our, yep. our last week without racing for a while. Four hours of Abu Dhabi. Does that count? Um, <laughs> it's the Asian Le Mans series. The Ferrari hypercars are testing for it. Yeah, I, wa I watch a little bit of it. Yeah, suit yourself. So, um, but we're, we're, that's happening. Whilst we, whilst we might have some Formula, some racing action, we will also have some uh, more reaction to Formula One car launches. And I'm sure there'll be nothing quite as dramatic as this week in the world of racing, right? Maybe we can not. only hope. We'll see. I, yeah. But for that, find out whether it is on next week's episode. Take care and goodbye. Thank you for listening to Into the Paddock by the ITA Podcast Network. Join us next time for more provocative motorsport talk.